live from New York, or well, reported in New York. It's the Adobe and Teardrops podcast with your pal, Rachel Post, bringing you all the alt-country, rock and roll, roots music, and more that I think sounds good. It's the Adobe and Teardrops podcast. Well, it is episode 172 of Adobe and Teardrops, and I am so excited to be recording it with Casey Anderson. We have struck up a friendship beyond music by talking about our favorite frustrating baseball team, the Yankees. Although I guess everybody's <laughs> favorite team is also very frustrating. So when we were discussing a theme for our episode, baseball was the obvious choice. And so Rosa would love for us to call this episode Casey at bat. Okay. And I'm sure I'm sure you've gotten that one a lot. <laughs> yep. But I appreciate it, Rosa. Thank you. <laughs> All right. We don't have to call it that. <laughs> okay. I mean, you can. We can. If you don't already know Casey's work, he just re-released his album, Let the Bloody Moon Rise. Or I guess I should say more accurately, officially released it for the first time, even though it's been around the internet for a while. And Casey just got recently some new recognition for the song the dangerous ones from his album from a couple years ago called from a white hotel that i really loved so i'm really excited to get to play it again and i think i had it on the anti-racist playlist a couple weeks ago so we're just going to listen to it a second time for patreon subscribers because it's good enough that you should probably listen to it once every couple weeks but before we get into the songs casey would you like to introduce yourself and talk a little bit more about the history of this album and i would also love to hear more about the work you're doing right now with people who are in recovery my name is casey anderson i'm so happy to be here and i so i feel like now every thing that i do is just like a really thinly veiled excuse to talk to my friends i mostly did my own press for this record and i really only like sent it to buddies and pitched it to buddies so that if, if I had to do press, I was doing it with people that I liked. And it's the same with the artists and recovery stuff. Like it's mostly just me talking to my friends. Let the Bloody Moon Rise is a record that I recorded with my band, The Honkies, in 2011. Kurt Block produced it. A bunch of folks played on it. Tim Rogers from UMI, Mike McGree from Pearl Jam, Jeff Fielder. The band was myself, Andrew McCaig, Mike Musburger, Eric Corson, and Ty Bailey. And those were all like guys from the Seattle music scene who I already kind of really admired, looked up to, like those were heroes to me. So to get to be in a band with them and then have them bring other friends in who I really admired was so like just really humbling, but also really exciting. We made the record and then Shortly after we made the record, I got into a fair amount of trouble and went to uh, treatment for substance use disorder, then was incarcerated. And I think about a year into my incarceration, someone sent me a message that said the album was on Spotify and Apple Music and whatever other streaming services people listened to at the time. And I was like, well, I don't know how that would be. Like, we didn't ever master the record. It wasn't finished. When I got out, I found it. And it was, you know, like 17 unfinished songs half of which I didn't intend to be on the album. I have two theories. One is that at some point in prior to going to prison, I gave someone a bunch of the songs and was like, do whatever you want to with these, not meaning release them, but like here, you know, here's this thing that I've been working on. Another is that it had 
people who had done like a crowdfunding thing for the record had been receiving rough mixes and demos as we recorded them. And so it, it could be that someone sent those to CD Baby or one of the other digital distributors. At any rate, the record had been out, you know, since like 2014. But after the Dangerous Ones thing happened last year and I had more of an audience than I had had, had since probably 2012 when we did that Counting Crows tour, I just thought like, okay, cool, people are listening. Now is the time. I really love this record. I had the finished version of it. Kurt Block and I had gone back to work on it. It was mastered by this guy, Ed Brooks in Seattle. And I thought like, okay, cool. If I have people's attention for a little bit, then this is my chance to put this thing out. And if I'm kind of like in the mode of gradually winding my career down, then, you know, I want to make sure to get this out at a time when people hear it before I'm kind of done releasing stuff. It came out April 30th. I have one new solo record that will be out either late this year or early next year. And then I'm going to keep doing the Alano Club stuff, which you mentioned, which is I work as the director of development and community engagement at the Alano Club of Portland, which is a nonprofit organization, which provides services, supports, and resources to people in or seeking recovery from substance use, mental health disorders, disordered eating, recovery from trauma. And as part of that job, I developed a cooking series with chefs in recovery, teaching people how to cook. A lot of people in early recovery are on a fixed income or use government benefits. A lot of them don't. When I was first in recovery, like I didn't have a great idea how to eat and how to make healthy eating kind of a part of my new lifestyle. So there's that program. And then there's artists in recovery, which is where I talk to artists who are in recovery from substance use, mental health disorders, disordered eating, and recovery from trauma. And that has been really cool, especially during the last year or so of a pandemic. It's been something that I really look forward to. Like once or twice a month, I get to kind of talk to a friend who is an artist, you know, pe people who I have become friends with over the years, but who are also in recovery today. I talked this morning, I talked to Allison Russell, whose solo record comes out Friday, May 21st. Hey, the day, same day this comes out. So yeah. Allison Russell's record will be out. I'll just do her press campaign now. Allison yeah, Russell's record do. will be out when, when you hear this podcast. And that it addresses a lot of trauma that she experienced as a child who endured physical abuse, sexual abuse from her caregivers. I've, you know, I have talked to my buddies, like talked to Jason Isbell, talked to BJ Barr, talked to Angie Malie, a bunch of other folks who, who are really kind of like public facing in their recovery and also make art that I really love. And so that has been a cool thing to do. And I hope that, you know, even after things open back up and people are, are touring more often that we'll still be able to do these via Zoom because that way I can record them and then get them up on Vimeo and YouTube and people can see them if they miss the original thing. So that's been fun. That's really rewarding. And it has kind of carried me through, like it's been one of the things that I have really come to look forward to over the last year. And you also have like a little baby. So I know I that's have, been taking up a lot of your time. I have Very a little cute. six month old baby who has two teeth coming in and Ooh. we just got the go ahead at her six month checkup to feed her whatever she seems curious about and to try and figure out like if there are any allergies or things like that. So it's really exciting, but it's also now like every time my wife, Kate, it's like, I want to have her try eggs. I'm like, oh, what if she's allergic? You know, like we know she's not allergic to breast milk. <laughs> how, how long can we stay with that? But it's cool. Like the doctor at her six month checkup asked us what we had been feeding her. And, you know, to that point, it was like a little bit of avocado, a little bit of banana. And he was like, you know what? That's really boring. And like, I want you to be like, whatever you're eating, 
I want her to try a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. So now when we make dinner, we like let her try a little bit of it. And that's really exciting. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Just a whole new world for her to explore. Yeah. So Casey suggested older guys from what the Buddy Moonrise, because there is a discussion of baseball's older step cousin cricket. Before we listen to it, Casey, do you want to talk a little bit more about the song? Yeah. So Older Guys is a song by the Australian band UMI, Y-O-U-A-M. I, who also have a new record coming out. That well, This was a good segue because I think their record is out May 21st in the States. Uh, the new UMI record is called The Lives of Others. For a long time, they were like the biggest Australian band that was in ACDC. They had huge, huge hits in the 90s, played to huge, huge crowds in Australia. We toured with Tim Rogers, the frontman and songwriter, A few times in the States, they weren't like mega popular in the States, but they have dedicated fans. And I became one of those dedicated fans through listening to their records with Andrew McKaig and then through meeting Tim and touring with Tim. When I met Tim, he had just taken an interest in baseball. Like he had really gotten into, and for some reason he had really taken an interest in the Phillies, which I don't understand how a person who is not like in Philadelphia or from Philadelphia or has no real connection to Philadelphia gets interested in the Phillies, but he was and still is. The last time he was in Seattle, which was 10 years ago when we were making this record, I took him to a Mariners game. And I don't know, he had maybe been to a pro baseball game before, but he was still really new to it and was like really excited about it. And that was a really fun experience. Older Guys is kind of like a UMI B-side. It's not one of their most popular songs, but it's one of my favorites. And it's a song that was like right pretty squarely in the honky's wheelhouse when we were making this record. So we'll listen to that and patreon subscribers will also listen to the dangerous ones from a white hotel and then we'll listen to one of katie's picks which we'll talk about after this todd snyder's america's favorite pastime from the excitement plan Used to sit out on the back porch all caught a gun. 
Doc Ellis didn't think he was pitching that plea back in 1970 When he and his wife took a trip to the ballpark a little bit differently So by the time that he hit the bullpen, half the world had melted away That's about the time Coach Murtaugh came and said, Doc, you're pitching today Taking the mound, the ground turned down to the ice and on a birthday cake the leadoff man came up and turned into a dancing rattlesnake. The crowd tracked back and forth in waves of color underneath the sun. That ball turned into a silver bullet, his arm into a gun. I took a look all around the world one time. I finally discovered you can't judge a bird. Straight innings and a zero-zero tie. As all those batters' names come ringing from a voice out of the sky. A hallucinating Halloween sings each new swing of the bat. His sinker looked like it was falling off a table, but nobody was hallucinating that. I took a look all around the world one time. Finally discovered. Can't judge a book. By the top of the seventh, he was up one to nothing and giving them Padres fit. By the bottom of the eighth, he was up two to nothing and they still hadn't got any hit. But with the one hour left to go in the game, the battle looked like a baby child. That birthday cake was shaking, them waves of color was going wild. 
by the time that he mowed the last man down, he was high as he had ever been. Laughing to the sound of the world going round, completely unaware of the wind. And while the papers would say he was scattered that day, he was pretty as a pitcher could be. The day Doc Ellis of the Pittsburgh Pirates threw a no-hitter on LSD. I took a look all around the world one time. I finally discovered you can't judge a book. Okay, so I knew that story about Doc Ellis, like, in passing. Like, I'm sure I've, like, read references to it enough times. Yeah. But I guess I never looked into it. So this song is wild. It is wild. And the whole, like, the Doc Ellis thing, like you said, like, I think everybody is at least, like, tangentially aware of it because it's become such a big part of baseball lore. Todd does such a good job of putting the story into the song. You know, like, Doc didn't think he was going to pitch that day. So he and his wife kind of tripped and then he shows up at the ballpark and it's his day to pitch. And Todd does the thing that that Todd does so well, which is like, it's poignant, it's funny. The story is told really beautifully. And, you know, like it is about Doc Ellis, but it's not, you know, like the the refrain or the chorus is, is about whether or not you can judge a book by its cover, et cetera, et cetera. Like, it just is such a great telling of this story. And there's an interview where Doc said that, like, this is the most famous of the games that he played under the influence, but he said that he played almost every game of his career on something. So this just happens to be, I mean, like, he threw a no-hitter and he was super tripping, but I guess there was not ever a time where Doc didn't show up to the ballpark on something. I mean, it is kind of a boring game, so whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, what better way to spend the four and a half hours it's going to take especially like if it's not his day to pitch yeah you know what I mean what draws you to baseball I feel like there's a big overlap of course between people into like Americana and baseball and also maybe comic books there is something kind of like quintessential about all of it for me baseball is so so soothing to watch and listen to like you just said, like, it's kind of a boring game. And we, we all, I think, I think even people who love baseball have made that joke or have made that observation. And it is a game where like, if I walked away from the TV for an hour and then came back, there's a pretty good chance that not much has changed. Like the score is going to be still pretty close to where it was when I left. You know, the game is still going to be about as suspenseful as it was. But to me, it, like, I grew up in the Northwest. So we really had... The Mariners were the closest that I had to a home team living in Portland, but the Cubs were on because my family got WGN and then the Braves were on because we got TBS. And so I grew up with these great, like Dave Niehaus for the Mariners, Harry Carey for the Cubs. I grew up with these great broadcasters who just made all four hours of it captivating somehow. And I think that that's what drew me to it. And then when I was a teenager and in my early 20s, when I was working in projection booths and movie theaters, I would have the radio on because like working in a projection booth is not dissimilar from a baseball game in that there's like 20 minutes of action, right? Where you're, you're threading all the projectors and you're starting all the movies. I like, I worked in a six auditorium theater. And so the times were pretty staggered by like 15 minutes, but you know, for 
40 minutes or an hour, there would be action where I would be threading movies. And then it's two hours of like kind of just sitting around and that's perfect baseball listening environment. Like it's dark, the projectors are whirring behind me. It's really soothing. And I would just listen to baseball. And I, so for me, a lot of it now is nostalgia, which I, you know, like that can be a pretty dangerous drug too, nostalgia, but I, I, I don't know, like there's just something so soothing about it. And Kate, my wife grew up in Queens, so she's a Mets fan. And so she, you know, like suffers the same way Rosa does. We should. Oh, you should for your Patreon subscribers. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, like she goes through the same thing that Rosa goes through. I'm sure like, especially this year, the Mets were supposed to be so good and it's looking like they're maybe gonna kind of Mets it. And so she's like, is just miserable, but she still wants to watch it unfold. And that's another thing about baseball fans. I think is that like, I'm a big Portland Trailblazers fan having grown up around here, but there comes a point where like, if I'm frustrated, I just will not watch the game. Like I, I'll just shut the game off or I'll tune out for like a week. You know, like if they've lost a few in a row, I'll, I'll be like, you know what? I don't really need to watch two hours of this every night. <laughs> but with baseball, it seems like baseball fans, we can't do that. Like no matter how rough it is, I'm going to watch all nine innings if I can. Or like, you know, if the Yankees or the Mariners or whoever have dropped seven in a row, I'm still watching the games every day. And I cannot explain why other than it's really soothing. to. Me. Yeah, definitely. Like the nostalgia and ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> and then also like, you know, there have been so many times where we're both, we're watching a game. We'll both be hanging out on our phone. She's like, do you want to keep watching? I'm like, yeah, of course I want to keep watching. I'm just on my yeah. phone. Yeah. <laughs> and then and it's like, can I can be. be on my phone for four hours and not feel bad about it. Cause I'll take breaks to watch baseball when something interesting happens. Like yeah. I'm not, I guess I'm just not the kind of fan who can, who cares much about pitches and pitch placement. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't like, I don't keep score while I watch. Or anything like that. Like I know I have friends who are who are really really like diehard baseball fans, and and I so I, I'm not that you know like I just don't I'm not into the the minutia of the game that much. I'm not keeping a scorebook, but you know like I I do like a well pitched game. I like you know I like watching a pitcher adjust to what what kind of stuff they have that day. You know, whether the fastball is working or the off-speed pitch is working or whatever. Like, I like the strategy of it. And I think that there is a lot of adjustment on the fly that happens in baseball that people don't see because the game moves so slow. So they just assume that like everything is just moving slowly, but there's a lot of strategy to the game, which also makes it really appealing to me. Yeah. I mean, now that I've been watching it more closely for a few years now, I'm starting to understand how that unfolds. So speaking of strategy, I felt like I was looking at the list of songs we both come up with and I was like, there's a way to diversify this. Yeah. And then it hit me like, I can't believe I almost forgot about this song, Caroline Spence's Softball from Spades and Roses, which I think is about four years old now. I feel like a lot of my favorite music was pre-Trump. Yeah. <laughs> with a few exceptions, I feel like the Trump years was either a really great or really difficult time to make music. and. I guess we'll see what comes out of this. So when you listen to it, you'll see the way that she uses softball as a metaphor for sexism, but it's so smart. It's so good. The whole album is incredible too. Yeah. So we will take a listen to that and then we will make it funky with some Sam and Dave.
So yeah, what led you to to pick that one, Casey? That was Knock It Out of the Park with from Sweat and Soul. And so I just like the it the metaphor is so clunky <laughs> to me, but the, the yeah. delivery is so good. And I it's like for so for me, it's it's a great example of, you know, like maybe the material is not my favorite, but the delivery of the material is so good, you know. And like the Carolyn song, the both the material and the delivery are like perfect and so that is you know like that is kind of what a song I think is supposed to be like her Carolyn song is so good and it's sung so well and performed so well this Sam and Dave song is you know like not 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 my favorite set of lyrics I've ever read but the (laughs) the song sounds so good I just love like I love the delivery I love the way the song sounds I love that era of soul music very much yeah, and I appreciate that you brought in some music to like kick it up a notch because I feel like everything I picked was sort of like sad folk music, <laughs> including this next one from Two Cal Garage called Movies, and that's off their most recent album, Brand New Flag. And uh, then we'll get into a band that I'm sure they've listened to because they are into hip hop, and that's totally not, I have no reference for it, so I do need to jump in at some point. But then we'll listen to the Ultra Magnetic MCs. The Saga of Dandy, the Devil, and the Day from their album, The Four Horsemen. And it's a fun listen, for sure. They should put me in the movies 
Fix my teeth and change my name Destined for fame and fortune in a war show bus Don't they know who I thought I was? They should put me in the movies They should put me ball game They should put me on second base Count on me in the 3-2 count Let me make my family proud They should put me in the ball game should put me in the White House Make sure we're all treated the same Tearing all those walls apart Fill the whole damn world with art They should put me They should put me in an airplane Straighten out and fly it right I'd take you all around Put you right back on the ground They should put me Josh Gissom is at the plate. The bases are loaded. It's a three and two count. And here's the pitch. Talent, but then us blacks have no history of all our great players. 
the teams in the ballpark, but we're here to shed light. Restore the glory they haven't got. Black baseball, they paved the way. With players like Dandy, the devil and they. Black baseball, they paved the way. With players like Dandy, the devil and they. Black baseball, they paved the way. With players like Dandy, the devil and they. Black baseball. Now the ballpark they played in was very far from a stadium. They only sat hundred troops as opposed to the thousands. But the stands would stay packed for the league that was back. With teams like the Bacharachs and the Homestead Grays. The Eagles and many more came ready to play. In cities like Birmingham, Newark and Chi-Town. The bus trips were very long. Paychecks would bring a crown, but not to these players. Cause they really love baseball. You can ban them from majors, but not from the game. With players like Leon Day, who pitched almost every day. His arm would hold up, blowing hitters with smoke away. And then there was Bullet Joe, also with Smokey Joe. King Richard and Sammy G, and brothers like Impo. Next, batter up. Bring it home, Kate. They took the long grain line, it was so fine. Super and strong to play. Three games a day. Hey, hey, Thunder Twins are up and gonna win again. Make the other players say, oh, them again? Well, what do you know? Black baseball, they paved the way. With players like Dandy, the devil and they. Black baseball, they paved the way. With players like Dandy, the devil and they. Black baseball, they paved the way. Yeah, I mean, I think the lyrics on the saga are perfect, and it's definitely <laughs> like a saga. I think it's pretty self-explanatory why it belongs here, but what what about the song resonates with you? I mean, I love ultramagnetic MCs, and I love <clears throat> that the way that they deliver the story of like the Negro Leagues and and of all these players, you know, all these Hall of Fame caliber players who contributed in such an enormous way to the game, and just don't you know, like are 
you know, I, I don't think casual baseball fans, maybe they know, like, I think Satchel Page is a name that probably a lot of people know. I don't know if people know Josh Gibson. And Josh Gibson was like maybe the best pitcher ever. You know, Josh Gibson was an incredible, incredible pitcher. So, I mean, this for me is just such like a, you know, like all these mentions of Cool Papa Bell, Abe Manley, Rufus Lewis, all these great players who casual fans don't know and and like who contributed in such an incredible way, not just to, to the game of baseball, but like, you know, to the, to the civil rights movement, to the movement for equity and equality. And so I felt like that this was a good time to, to try and work that in. And it's also, you know, like... Same as you said, like I find I when I was thinking about baseball songs, like I came up with a bunch of both you and I listen to a lot of like Americana folk music. And I find that like when I especially when I'm putting a record out, like I'm I have to make a really concerted effort to listen to stuff other than either my own mixes or the people that I might be seeing at festivals or on bills with if whenever shows happen again. And so I was like, oh, let me go back to this ultramagnetic song. I think people maybe have a better handle on who Cool Keith is, but would maybe not know that that ultramagnetic was his, you know, was it was a group that Cool Keith was in in the late 80s, early 90s. And so I would say if, you know, if you're into Cool Keith, go take a couple steps backwards and check out Ultramagnetic. Also, Razelle was was with the group for a while, said G, Mo Love. Tim Dog became an unofficial member at one point. So this is like, I mean, you know, this is kind of part of the evolution of hip hop too, which which I think is, you know, so incredible to trace and, and still so fascinating and still very much in progress. So I don't know. I, I also just wanted to hear the song. Like, I don't think I've listened to this in a few years. So I wanted to cheat and listen to it. Yeah, I mean, I'm always happy to provide new excuses <laughs> <laughs> music people want to listen to. I was listening to an interview with Andrea Williams the other day, who is both mm-hmm. just wrote a book about Effa Manley, the first and only black woman to own a baseball team. In her case, it was, I want to say the Newark team from the Negro Leagues, but was it the Eagles or was it the black Yankees? I don't, don't remember uh, the, Eagles. the Eagles. Yeah. yeah. So she wrote a children's book about that and was on a podcast called Burn It All Down. So for anyone who's listening out there who's looking for a more lefty interpretation of sports news and a feminist interpretation of sports news, that is a great podcast. But anyway, so in the interview, she and the person who was interviewing her were talking about what's sort of taken away when the Negro Leagues disappeared. And I feel like, and this idea that integrating the major leagues as a path forward came at a very heavy price. And I think that's how a lot of people are starting to look at the significance of what happened with Jackie Robinson integrating Mm -hmm. the major leagues. And I feel like this song really speaks to that idea, right? That like, it's talking about how this is a piece of history that's been forgotten, but it shouldn't be. Yeah, exactly. I will correct myself. I think that I, I incorrectly said Josh Gibson was a pitcher. Josh Gibson was a catcher. So I misspoke, but but I don't want anybody to go looking for who may not know Josh Gibson and <laughs> accidentally like not be able to find him among pitchers. Bob Gibson was a pitcher, but Josh was a catcher. Anyway. So yeah, so that's it. I Usually these podcasts are six songs with a couple extra for the Patreon subscribers, but I wanted to make sure everybody listened and we, that we played out on this last song so before we talk about it we'll do the housekeeping stuff casey how can everybody find you because i know that you have a story behind your social media name that a lot of people see i appreciate you bringing that up so if you follow want to follow me on twitter or instagram 
My name is the same on both of those platforms. It's least deaf, L-E-A-S-D-E-F, which is a play on most deaf, which I, I guess like I <clears throat> did not think it would be lost on that many people, but it seems to be lost on a lot of people. So I'm L-E-A-S-D-E-F, least deaf on Twitter and Instagram, CaseyAndersonMusic.com or CaseyAnderson.Bandcamp.com. And the, you can, the record is, you know, my records are on all of the places where people now listen to music. And I think they're, Right now, the only place you can find Let the Bloody Moon Rise on vinyl or CD is my website, but uh, I think it'll wind up in stores here in the next few months. So if if you are a patron of a local record store, then it should be, you, you don't have to order it directly from me if you want to support your local business, but you can order it directly from me. And I'm excited. This you You have chosen a 14 minute song. Yes. To close out the episode. Thanks as always to Alma Contra for putting the opening together. And that is from a different 2Cal Garage song called Stars and Gutters. Thanks to them for letting me use it. If you want to send me music, do that through Submit Hub. It's anything that I like is going to be a blog post instead of a podcast thing, usually. But that's better for you as a musician because then it'll be on, what's it fucking called? You know what I'm talking about. That website that aggregates all the blog posts and SoundCloud playlists, Hyper or something. Oh, Hype, hype not Hype Beast. I know <laughs> what you mean. Yeah. Anyway, if you're listening we're to your position, you know about it. Yeah. <laughs> I literally don't understand what this website does or why it's important, but apparently it does feedback into Spotify algorithms. So for a while, I don't think anyone really cared when SoundCloud lost importance, but right. anyway. anyway. It's Hypebot. Yeah. Something like that. Hypebot, yeah. yeah. Oh, but you had me on the podcast instead of writing about it for the blog. That means you didn't like, I see now, you didn't like the record. (laughs) (laughs) I can embed a SoundCloud file and that'll that'll do it. So yeah, so feel free to send stuff through SubmitHub, free or paid, I'll listen to it. If you want to support the podcast financially, you can do that through Kofi or Patreon. And there's also t-shirts and stuff now on the Adobe and Teardrops website. They look very cool. One of these days I will get off my butt and make a social media campaign around them, but design them. So if you like the way the website looks, he also made a bunch of beautiful logos for, for t-shirts. You do have to do a campaign around this. Like I was yeah. unaware of this completely and we, are, and we, are we talk friends. a lot on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll get there. Um, these are dope. Thank you. Yeah. Kids looking, looking at them right them now. Out. Right. I'm looking at them right now. These are great. Yeah. I guess I should add that if you're a Patreon subscriber or Casey, because I'll send it to you, you can get a discount code for the merch so that it's all print on demand. So the discount code will be at cost instead of uh, you paying for more for it. So you'll still be paying a little bit, but it was the best I could do because I can't just, I don't just have a box of t-shirts that I can send out for free. Yeah. And you can find out more about me or my comic on the link tree. Rainbow Rodeo is also for sale. I need to make a social media campaign around that too. It's just a lot. I have a day job. <laughs> Why do you lot. do it all? It's, I don't know. And like, it is a lot. I'm remembering now that we actually like our first conversations were actually about your comic because I bought your comic and then reached out to you and then learned like from that learned that you wrote about music and had the podcast but the comic was the first was like our first few conversations were just about how much I love the comic that's such a weird coincidence too because when you had emailed me your PR person had emailed me like the day before or something like that 
So I was like, why is this guy emailing me again? He's trying to contact me through the comic website. What the hell? <laughs> and then he was like, oh, hey, no, talk about the comic. I was like, what? Yeah. So there's three issues of that. And this week I'm committed to typing up my draft of issue four so that that can be out in the world at some point. Um, I'm glad that I was, I'm going to hold you to these goals now that I've, like, we have documentation. Yes. I want to see a social media campaign around the shirts. I want to see some promotion for the comic and you can let me know when draft four is finished. Yes, I will do that. Also, if you're listening and you like posting things to social media schedulers, reach out. I can pay you a teeny little bit to do a teeny little bit of it for me because I don't like doing it. So the very kind Patreon subscribers are subsidizing this podcast so that I can pay for people to do things I don't like. So this 14 minute song is from Vigilantes of Love, another band I'm obsessed with, although it's really hard like to find information on them. I think they're kind of out, out of like the Georgia, like Athens, Georgia, kind of REM type of scene, but Bill Maloney, the lead singer, was raised a Calvinist, so his early music is very Christian, including this song. But it's also beautiful, and he writes volumes and volumes of liner notes for all his stuff on Bandcamp. He puts out like at least three albums a year, maybe three to five, and they're all good. <laughs> like that's what kind of songwriter he is. So there is a studio version of this song, but I've never listened to it because this version is the only one I want to hear. It's from a bootleg of a show from the year 2000, and it was on some kind of BBC show. And it's called You Give It All Your Heart. And it is, to me, the quintessential baseball song because it also goes into life and religion and how that all ties back into baseball. I did not know this song until you suggested it in our email thread. It's so good. And I, too, have only, I only listened to that. You suggested the live version, so I checked that out. And I have not listened to the studio version. But I love a long song. Yeah. This is great. I love a 14-minute song. Let's do it. Yeah, I mean, I think as you'll listen, you'll hear like there's definitely verses <laughs> that are like pre-planned, but a lot of it seems to be really like off the cuff. And I think that's what mm -hmm. I appreciate about it. So mm -hmm. be patient, listen to it all the way through. I hope you find it as beautiful as we both did. In music we trust, in music we believe. Take care of each other out there. Right on. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, you give it all your heart. That's the way you play the game ever since The smell of fresh cut outfield grass It's always been this way From the oil upon your leather glove To the sharp crack of the bat To the faces on the trading cards And the stats upon the bat your heart cause they come to see you swing you learn to nurse your own hurts and hope the coach doesn't suspect a thing and sure it is a long shot but that sky seemed oh so clear we may not make it out the bush leagues but that's not why we're Since that first game, it's been deep inside of you. Was it a music only you could hear when the count was three and two? 
Ever since you picked up that wood, you can't seem to put it down. You cannot get enough of it. You're wrong from town to Some call it your twist Yeah, the way you read the wind-up The nuance of each pitch But the whole thing felt like something else When we walked onto that field It's like a language you must learn to read Or a base that you must steal A base that you must steal drink champagne it's not whether you win or lose it's how you play the game the heroes they're not as many the scoreboards are not as bright but somewhere some kid gets it all when he swings that wood tonight knew a woman she asked her son to shine her shoes she put a quarter in each one of them because she thought that was his due but he returned the money and when she asked him why that was he said mom i'm old enough to know by now you do some things for your heart Cause that's the way you play the game ever since the smell of fresh cut outfield grass it's always been this way sure it is a long shot but the sky seemed oh so clear we may not make it off the bush leagues but that's not why for having us. When I was growing up, when I was growing up, my, uh, my folks used to send us off to bed with a Bible story every night. And since, uh, since one of Jesus' favorite place was the local taverns, 
I believe him to have been an authority on Hebrew microbrews. Since that was one of his favorite places to hang out, we'll close with a little Bible story. Patch on the bum and off to bed. It's an Old Testament story about some minor league prophet never quite made it to the majors. Like most of those Old Testament prophets, he pitched his message hard, low, fast, down in, down in. His name, his name was Hosea, and he used to walk all over Israel with the signboard on. And on one side of the signboard it said, repent. And on the other side of the signboard it said, for the end is near. He was quite a sight. Didn't win too many games. His ERA average was pretty low. Pretty high. He got some special instructions one day from the dugout. The team manager said, there's this hot girl in town. I want you to bring her a new dress for me. Bring her a new dress for me. And I want you to dress her up in love. And I want you to dress her up in love. The good Lord told Hosea to go marry the town prostitute whose name was Gomer she was you might say the life of every party a little heavy on the jewelry a little thick on the lipstick and not too choosy about the men or the booze at first she thought Hosea was kidding no, 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 I'm not kidding. I'm under orders from the management. I want you to be my wife. She thought the old kook was just flat out crazy. But not, not that much crazier than any of the other fools she was hanging out with night after night. And besides, she needed a new so they got married Jose and Gomer the unlikely pair and most of their friends didn't give them a snowball's chance in hell that the marriage would last they had a few kids and Hosea the minor prophet still throwing low, hard and fast and on the inside would name them odd little names like God is coming to kick your ass if you don't straighten up. 
And he would name these kids these names and, and send them off to school. And you can imagine when the roll was called, what they felt like. Meanwhile, our minor league hero is off the sawdust trail, beating it up and down Israel, playing for every farm team he could find that would have him. Some of Gomer's friends called her up one night and said, oh, sweetheart, the kids are in bed. Come out and throw down with us, baby. So she took him up on the offer, and pretty soon, she was back to her old ways. She was back on her old stomping ground, but that dress was looking a bit sullied and muddy and torn and battered and broken. She'd lost some buttons and some of the jewels that clung to the hem. No matter, she fell back at home. Meanwhile, her husband was heartbroken. He'd fuss at her to no avail. He'd try locking the door and she'd stumble home at three or four in the morning and he'd open the door and let her back in. Fix her some coffee. Give her a cold shower and tuck her in bed and let her sleep it off. Finally one day, she just didn't come in at all. Stayed out all night, and she didn't come in at all. Hosea found that funny little thing about the object, the funny little thing about the object of your affections is when you, when you think you're doing all the work and you think you're carrying all the load, it's already started to change you. And the garment he was wearing looked a lot like the garment she was wearing. He took off. He found her. He found her passed out drunk above an adult bookstore. He had to pay a pretty big fee to get the management to let her out of her contract. But he was just glad to have her back. And she was glad he changed his signboard to read after all the thinking and all the hurt and all the bitterness he had the most important love of his life back by his side one side of the signboard it now read God is love and on the other side on the other side of the signboard remember what I said about the object of your affections changing you from the inside out and on the other side it read There is no end to it.
Thanks. Thanks. Thanks a lot. All original content is copyright Adobe and Teardrops. All original music is copywritten by their respective artists.